Good morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. I was somewhat surprised to see the snow this morning again, but I guess in Indiana when it's March and April, you can sort of expect surprises like that. It's good to see Belinda and Lowell here. Welcome. Invite you to worship with us and every other um, visitor that's here. I think I have something going on with my mic here. We do have something going on with the mic. Well, I trust that won't be too much of a distraction this morning. And just invite us to uh, come and worship uh, the Lord this morning. Um, Sister Brenda. Still doing it. Should we just take it off? Yeah, sure. You just told me I have to stay behind the, the pulpit this morning, so I apologize for that. Technology is nice, but sometimes it malfunctions. Uh, Sister Brenda uh, came in this morning and told us that um, their daughters are in Ohio and they are on planning to leave real shortly here to come back home and um, Stacy is driving, but she has a migraine and it's a pretty bad migraine, has had a migraine for a week, I believe. Am I saying it right? And so bad that her right eye, I think, is affected. Like it's, she's not able to see real well. And I just thought maybe it would be in order that we would pray. So I'm gonna ask maybe one of the ladies um, to pray for her. Um, We have a volunteer. One of the ladies pray for Stacy, for her safety, and also that it. And I think they're planning on going to the ER today to check it out. So, one of the ladies want to volunteer. Okay, Melanie, thank you. Go ahead and pray, and then I will finish the prayer. Go ahead, Mel. Father in heaven, uh, we just especially want to lift up Stacy and Jenna to you this morning and ask that you would just grant them safety as they travel home from Ohio. Father, would you just uh, take away um, 
Stacy's headache and her pain and her uh, the side effects that go along with her migraine. Father, I just ask that you would bring healing to her body and to her her head. And um, I pray that she would not be distracted as they drive home. Just pray that she could feel your uh, presence with her and you would just guide their vehicle as they drive, keep them safe and on the road. Pray for Jenna as well. Ask that you would help her not to um, be afraid and that they could just encourage each other in knowing that you are their Heavenly Father. And I just pray that you would um, just bless and encourage them as they travel home. Pray this in your name. Father, we just um, agree with what Melanie prayed and just ask God that you would watch over. And as they go, uh, hopefully soon, to um, the emergency room to see if there are some things that um, they should be paying attention to, I pray, God, that you would direct them as well, direct the doctors, and um, give them a sense of your peace today and help them to trust you. Father, this morning we also just pray for our time together uh, this morning and just acknowledge that you are Lord and you are sovereign and that you are King and that we are humans and we need you. And so would you come this morning, Father, and Teach us from your word. Teach us truth that would impact us, that would um, cause us to um, walk more carefully in your ways. So I just pray that your spirit would have freedom here, that whatever distractions and um, busyness that we've had maybe throughout the week would disappear and our hearts could be centered and focused on you this morning. And I pray, God, especially for the message that you would um, simply speak and that you would direct and guide and uh, give clarity. And we pray in your name. Amen. Those of you that were at our church meeting on uh, Tuesday, about two weeks ago, we um, went through some purposes and expectations of Sandy Ridge. Some of those were just things that Sandy Ridge has always been, a, been about and the expectations that have always been part of Sandy Ridge. And then the very last thing we uh, put on, this, on the PowerPoint were uh, three purposes that we would like for us together to focus on in the next couple years as a congregation. Does anybody remember what those three purposes were? Some of you weren't there, so I'm not expecting you to to know, but we did put those papers in your mailbox and they are on there. 
Those three purposes were that we were going to focus on loving well, to serve well, and to worship well. Now, I reversed those this morning, and I'm going to ask you, because we said that we would keep those in front of us periodically, and I'm going to ask you this morning how well you did with those. And so the, the question I'm going to ask you is, did you worship this week? Did you worship this week? What do I mean by that? And I'll explain what I mean by that. This is going to be unhandy. I have to stay behind. I want to walk around. Um, what we mean by that is when we worship personally, on a personal level, on a regular basis, when we, when we worship God in the quietness of our space, our soul becomes rejuvenated. And when we refuse to or we neglect to or we don't have time to worship well, our soul becomes brittle and calloused, and we no longer can feel the Holy Spirit, sense the Holy Spirit, and therefore we will have a hard time loving well and serving well. So the question is this morning, did you take time to worship your God this, this past week? Did you love well this week? Did you display Christ's love to someone else? Did you experience Christ's love from someone else? And then did you serve as Christ serves us? Did you serve this past week? And maybe the testimony time you can share your thoughts on that. But those are things, those are three things we'd like to just have us zero in on in the next year or two, several years, and say, you know what? These things are important. They're, they're foundational, and they do, they do affect us. And so we'll try to remember to occasionally bring that in front of us, maybe on a Sunday morning. Worshiping loving, and serving. Well, this morning, I am going to attempt to preach a message, probably the final message on my series on the church. And I will be the first to admit that I feel just a little bit snowed under with the subject. Um, as I began to study and put it together and, and the week unfolded, it just seemed like it wasn't, it wasn't gelling. And if you've ever had that, um, if you ever had to study and, and put together a topic or whatever and it just didn't seem to, to gel and yet you couldn't focus anywhere else, it can be sort of disconcerting. So... This morning, I will attempt to preach what I feel like God has laid on my heart. You can turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
The title of my message this morning is Baptism, Communion, and Church Membership. Baptism, Communion, and Church Membership. And like I said, I, I, I actually had another, another message outline that I had already put together a couple weeks ago that I thought I was going to preach, and somehow this whole theme and this whole topic kept coming back, and I, I, I just couldn't move away from it. And so I took that as God saying, I want you to preach on it. So um, here we go. Baptism, communion, and church membership. Why do we want to talk about baptism, communion, and church membership? Well, there's several reasons, I believe, for myself anyway, and I think probably if we're honest with ourselves, there are a number of reasons, if, if we take time to think through, why we should probably talk about this. One of those reasons is that two of these things are ordinances that clarify what the church is or who the church is. Baptism and communion clarify who the church is or what the church is. And those of us that are, have been raised in Anabaptist circles or even in Christian circles on a regular basis, we take communion. For us, we take it twice a year. We have that service, that commemoration. We call it communion service. And at least once a year or so, we have a baptismal. We have a time when we baptize those that have made application and have gone through instruction class and have made their confession before the Lord and us, and we baptize them. But what happens sometimes in, 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 our, in our settings is we get so used to these ordinances that we sort of forget the importance of them. We, get, we, we become forgetful about the meaning behind those ordinances and we begin to misunderstand them. And that can rob us of the deep connections that each one of them has to the church. I remember when I was a young boy, at communion time, my folks would always fast. How many remember doing that? Like we would not have breakfast on communion Sunday morning. And as a little boy, I just couldn't handle that. I thought it was bad that we couldn't eat on communion Sunday morning. And um, but that has sort of gone by the wayside. How many, and, and this is no indictment. I'm just curious, how many of you fast on, on communion Sunday morning? You see what I mean? Somehow there was a connection made, and I, I did a little bit of research historically. It was very common for Christians to fast even the day before they had communion. And the reason was so that they could have a specific time of searching their own souls and their own hearts before the Lord and have a time where he could speak to them without any of those distractions of physical food and, 
and that kind of thing. You understand what I'm saying there. There was a connection there. But somewhere along the line, that sort of, eh, you know, is it, is it really that important? And we, we sort of make this thing less than what it really should be, perhaps. Less serious and less meaningful, less powerful in our Christian lives as a congregation and as an individual. Sometimes, the, the, another reason why I think we need to talk about these things is because they become mechanical. We become, they become institutionalized. It's just a thing we do. And the meaning is lost because um, it's just we go through the motions. So we need to talk about these things. But the third and probably the, the most burdensome thing for me this morning, reason that we need to talk about these things is because I believe that there is a real sense in which the ordinances of communion and baptism and the doctrine of the church, specifically church membership this morning, is being challenged a lot. And so I'd like to just address this morning what baptism is and why it's important and how communion is part of that and how they both support church membership. And I'm going to go in reverse order. And um, we're going to talk about church membership first. But I'd like to read from Acts chapter 2, which is basically a foundational passage that covers all of what we're going to talk about this morning. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, That's where the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. I'm not going to read the entire chapter because it's lengthy, and Peter gets pretty long-winded in his sermon, so I'm going to skip some of that, but I'm going to, I'm going to put, uh, point out some key verses, so I'd like for you to follow along. I am going to start in verse 1 of chapter 2, <clears throat> and then um, somewhere along there we'll skip down to verse 32. So if you would follow along in Acts chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as, as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with one another and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. I just stop and get the picture here. It says, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, they were devout men, 
out of every nation under heaven. I'm not sure what all that means, but it does sound to me like there were Jewish men or people that were in Jerusalem and they were sincere men. They were men, probably godly men, men that were following um, at least the law and, and God as much as possible. And it says they were out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, when the, the fact that these, these people that were receiving the Holy Ghost were speaking in tongues, it says, now when the no this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And I'm going to drop down. And they, they actually accused them of being drunk. And they were mocking them. And I'm going to drop down to verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell, in, dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it, is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he goes into his message. He goes into his sermon, which prophesies about who? In his sermon, Peter says a lot of things about who? Prophetically. About Jesus. He refers to what David said in the Psalms about Jesus, the prophet Joel, how that, how that the Holy Spirit was going to come on, on people after the Holy Spirit comes and they're going to prophesy and all that. And Peter goes right down the middle and just lays it out flat to these people and says, this is, this is, what, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And this is why it's happening. We jump down to verse 32. And this Jesus hath God's, God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Remember, he was talking to these people about Jesus, the one that they just crucified. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith himself, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes, thy footstool. Therefore, let, the, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine 
and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and, all thing, and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I don't know if you get a sense of what was happening there, but if you, if you could just put yourself in that spot, in that place, in that moment, part of that group, and you would have heard the message that Peter preached. And, and if you just read down through the passage, the message that he preached, it doesn't sound that convicting. Like for me, when I read it, I thought, okay, yeah, I get it. I understand what he's saying. But if you were a Jew and you were sitting in that, in that group of people and you had heard what Peter said and you knew exactly all the insinuations and understood the cultural things that were going on and you understood that exactly what happened when Jesus was crucified is exactly what Peter was saying. I wonder what would happen in our hearts. Would you have been pricked this morning? Would you have been part of those that said, what must we do? What do I have to do in order for this guilt that is on my soul to be removed? And then when you would have heard Peter say, you have to repent. You have to repent. And then you have to be baptized. What would you have done? You see, in that culture, it was hard for that to happen because they were the chosen people. And you were up against those kind of arguments in your head. But somehow the Holy Spirit was there convicting, bringing about a powerful revival and a turning from the old ways into a new way. In this passage, we have all three of the subjects that we're going to address today. We have church membership, we have baptism, and we have communion. It says then that they, after they were baptized, that they gladly received this word and were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Here, here's, here's what we need to understand. This, this was a large-scale communion time, okay? I realize that it was a special time. Let's not, let's not overthink this, brothers and sisters. This is not something that we say, okay, we have to follow this directive. God was moving in a, in a specific, special way at the beginning of the church era right here. He was establishing his church. And he moved so powerfully in this moment and in this time that the people were saying, look, this is, 
We've, we've been changed. We want to be together. This is congregationalism. This is what we want because we are new people. And my friend over here is a new person. This is a new person. We've been added to this group. This is the church today. That's what essentially was happening. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayer. You know what happened, brothers and sisters, when that became obvious to the people around them? Verse 43, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They were on an equal plane. They said, I don't care what I have. If my brother or sister needs something, it is his. It is theirs. We, we are not going to have any kind of status here. It wasn't even in their thinking, I don't believe. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread, communing from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were singularly focused group of believers. And they praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily. So we have church membership going on. Baptism, communion, and church membership. What is church membership? <coughs> and how do we view church membership this morning? Is church membership a biblical term? Do you find anything specifically said in the New Testament about being a member of a church? Maybe before we answer those questions, we should just simply ask ourselves, well, how do we view the church? What is the church? What is church to you? How important is church to you this morning? Is belonging to the church something that you cherish and that you delight in, just as these people did? When they were truly converted, when... When, when they were cleansed of their sins, when their conscience was clear and they had a pure heart, they wanted to be together. They were delighted to be with the church. So the question this morning is, for us, for me, is do I delight the same way that these people did about the church and being with the church? Or is it something that I appreciate but that's about it is church something that we only do on Sundays or is church my life what I mean by that question is I'm not saying we're doing we're doing church every day but is my heart my life so focused on kingdom that I live out my Sunday life, the rest of the week. Does that make sense? That there is no dichotomy, there is no separation. When I walk out these doors, there is no difference between what I am on Sunday and what I am tomorrow. That I am 
who I am because Christ has changed me. I am his. Now it's true that we go to work, we have those things that are different than on Sunday. We have other obligations. But even in that, brothers and sisters, there should be no disconnect from our church life today versus tomorrow. Or is that how it is? Do I view church as sort of a club that I can join and that I get to attend whenever I want to? Is it optional in my mind? Or do I want to be part of the believers here? Do I view church as a place where I can get my, meet, my needs met, where it's about me, and I forget that I am to come, and I am to be what God wants me to be for you? And when I view church in a consumeristic way, with a consumer attitude, that falls short quickly because we disappoint each other, don't we? I disappoint you and you disappoint me. When I come to church expecting to get something from being here or that I expect God to meet my needs here, I'm demanding things that he may not want. But if I come with an open and a broken heart that says, I want to worship, and I want to worship well, I want to love well, and I want to serve well, and I come with that motive, I want the best for my brothers and sisters today. Then I think God meets us, and he ministers to the needs that we so desperately need met, right? Isn't that how it works? When we remove ourselves from the equation and we look to Christ, that's our focus. That's our life. All of a sudden, church becomes a place where I want to go. I would say this morning that how we view church matters a great deal. And it matters because it affects the church's life, and it affects our personal life. You see, God ordained the church. The church is the visible kingdom here on earth. And when I decide that the church is too flawed or not good enough for me, then I'm messing with the kingdom. It is true. The church is flawed. You know it as well as I do, that we are all flawed. We have major areas of sin in our own lives. But that's not the point. The point is that we are redeemed. That's the point. We're imperfect, but we're redeemed, and we continue to grow. And when I, when I don't allow that to happen, and when I don't 
allow the church to be part of that process, I stunt myself and I hinder the church in the same process. Well, what is church membership? The term church membership is not found in the Bible. You cannot find that in the New Testament. There is no such thing stated in the New Testament about being a member of a church. There is no, it doesn't say anything about church membership. Just as the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible either. Did you know that? The word Trinity, which refers to the triune God, does not appear in Scripture. However, it does imply church membership. And it does imply that there are three, three persons in one, which is the Trinity. So the, the Scripture talks to us in implications. It, it, it speaks to us in specifics, and it speaks to us implicitly. It implies things. And so as you read through the New Testament, you will find all sorts of letters written to what? Churches, right? And those churches were not some mystical thing. They were real churches like you and me today with members in them. Those were real churches with real issues, with real needs. And those were what Paul and Peter and some of those were writing to, saying, addressing those needs and encouraging them and admonishing them. So I would suggest to you this morning that even though it doesn't specifically say that there, it doesn't specifically say church membership, that there were churches with members in them, in the, in the New Testament. And it was the normal New Testament, new church belief and practice to be part of a church. You can read about it historically in historical writings, and I reached into some of David Berceau's um, <clears throat> accounts that he gives. David Berceau is a historian, if you're not familiar with it, and if you're interested in this kind of things, he he's just has vast amount of knowledge. And one of the things that I, I uh, tapped into was his lecture on the first 150 years of the church. And it was quite interesting on what the first what the church believed about baptism and about communion and about church membership in the first 150 years it's fascinating we don't have enough time to go into that this morning but what is church membership i have put together my own definition of church membership and uh you'll have to forgive me because i'm a farm boy but this is how it sets in my in my mind church membership is this is when a person that is born again joins into a relationship, a covenant relationship with the local church. And the church affirms that believer who then submits to living out his faith, his or her faith, under the oversight and care of the church. Have you ever thought about it that way? When we become born again, when we're Christians, and I commit myself to becoming a member of the local church, I am committing myself into a relationship with you so that you can, you can care over me 
and give guidance to me. And the same goes for you. The church is made up of born-again believers. It's not made up of whoever walks in and says, I want to be a member. The church is made up of born-again believers, and we'll get into that a little later. Why is it important? Why is church membership important? I have several things here real quick. Number one, church membership shapes and gives structure to our Christian lives. Number one reason why church membership is important, brothers and sisters. Church membership shapes and gives structure to our Christian lives. It is the church. That gives us the opportunity to live out the life that we say we have. It is in the church that we learn to love, we learn to obey, and we learn to follow Christ. And the church verifies to us that that's happening or it verifies to us that it's not happening. So it gives structure. It is, it is the discipleship process in the church. It gives structure and form and shape to our Christian life. If I have a hard time loving, and if I have a hard time submitting to each other, or to the authority that is in the church by Christ, then we have to ask ourselves, what kind of Christian am I? Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. In Ephesians, that was in 1 Peter 5, 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 1 John 4.16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. It's in the church, brothers and sisters, that we are allowed or we are called to live out the life of Christ that we say we have. If I'm not loving well, and I'm just going to be bold enough to say this, brothers and sisters, that thing has been put to us for some time. We're not a loving church. If we're not loving well, and I'm not sure what all that means, but if we're not loving well, then what kind of Christians are we? How does that affect the body? And don't sit there and point fingers. Don't sit there and point fingers. How am I loving? How am I submitting to, to my brothers and sisters? to the authority that's in the church. How am I submitting? We are called to love and to submit to each other. And there's something about loving and submission that builds character and gives godly shape to a person. When I regularly submit to my brothers and sisters, when I love well, and you have to decide how that works. How does loving well work? I have said repeatedly, you've heard me say this, that we, do not, we cannot love if we're not receiving love. And so if things are happening in our lives that are blocking the love of Christ in us and we're not fellowshipping well with him, then it's hard to fellowship and love well here. Number two reason 
Church membership affirms the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> Church membership, when you become a, a member of the local body of Christ, you affirm that there is another kingdom. We all sit here and say, yes, there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and God's eternal kingdom. And I'm part of that kingdom, but when we become a member of this church or any church that you're part of, then you affirm that there is actually another kingdom unless we act otherwise. And then we affirm the other way. When a repentant sinner joins a church, they affirm that the kingdom of God is in fact a reality because the church of God is in essence, the, the, the embassy, it is who speaks on God's behalf to the nations. Remember, we talked about that in some of the other messages. The church of God is the kingdom made visible. And God, through Christ, gives authority and power to the church to speak that. And when I join and make myself available and plug into this church, then I affirm that that's true. I do not make God a liar. It is drawing a line of separation between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And it is saying, I am part of this kingdom. I am drawing a line and there's a separation. I am not like that. I am like this. That's not arrogance. That's just reality. When God changes me, I am his and I'm part of his kingdom. When we become member, members at the local church, we are telling the world that I belong to the eternal kingdom. You see, brothers and sisters, there is a difference between the world and the kingdom of God. And that difference is first and foremost in my heart. And then it is affirmed as I become a member and the church affirms that, yes, you are part of that kingdom. Ephesians 4.22, and that you put off concerning the former conversations, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The third thing, brothers and sisters, that church membership does <coughs> is that it demonstrates it is opportunity to demonstrate the life of the kingdom. So the, first, the second one was affirming that there is a kingdom. The third one is that it gives us opportunity to demonstrate the life of the kingdom that's in us. The life of the kingdom, brothers and sisters, is demonstrated in how we serve each other. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That's where some of this, these purposes came from. But by love serving, serve one another. Don't use your liberty in Christ saying, hey, I'm born again. I don't, that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Those, those idols don't bother me anymore. Don't take advantage of your brother and sister. But by love serve them. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The life of the kingdom is demonstrated by encouraging and admonishing each other. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to love, to provoke unto love and to good works. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How much exhorting do we do? How much exhorting do we do? We're called to speak truth and love. How do we respond when someone exhorts us? Maybe that's a question we need to ask. As a member in the church, we experience and embody the different metaphors that are given in the church. So one of the blessings, brothers and sisters, of being a member in the local body here is that we get to experience the metaphors, you know what I'm talking about, the metaphors in scripture about the church. The church is referred to as what? The body. It's referred to as a family. It's referred to as living stones being built up. It's referred to as the bride. It's referred to as branches that are connected to the vine. And we're told that we're a holy nation separated unto God. And it's in the church, brothers and sisters, that we experience those metaphors. That we experience the reality of a family. Like, I know there's a lot of broken families in the world today. And I trust there's not broken families in the church today. How are we experiencing the family here? Do I care about my brothers and sisters? Do I look out for the well-being of my brothers and sisters? Even if I have to exhort and say, you know what, brother, I'm not sure that what you're doing is really godly. It doesn't make, it, the, the, picture doesn't, the, the picture doesn't set well. It doesn't fit. Or encouraging, brother, you know what? I've just been blessed with the way you've handled some of this. Or whatever it is. How, how, do we, how do we experience the family, the bride, the body? All of these metaphors are given to us to encourage us, to draw us together, and to show us that there is a difference between the world and the kingdom of God. Baptism. We took a while there on church membership. How does one become a member of a church? And I will just say right up front that there's been a lot of debate, a lot of discussion, and some legitimate questions asked about baptism and church membership. I, I don't, I don't want to say this morning that, that those things are not to be considered. I think, I think there is validity in sitting down and thinking through some of those questions. They have valid reason and we ought to take care to consider them. Some of those questions are why why don't we baptize immediately upon confession of faith? When someone becomes a Christian, why don't we immediately baptize them? And we don't have time to go through all of that. Um, why do we have to have a period of instruction class before we baptize someone? The mode of baptism. 
all of those things. The one thing that I would say, brothers and sisters, is that in our passage today, it strongly indicates, and I believe, historically and throughout Scripture, it talks about baptism being the entryway into the church. We would all agree that baptism, on one hand, is an entryway into the universal church, the church across the globe, part of the bride of Christ universally. And that baptism is an entryway into that, and we often want to stop there and not say, well, I don't know that it makes that it, that it means that we are, we are to be a member of a church. I, I actually had a number of conversations about this just in the past several weeks with different men, some not from this community at all. And I was, and, and, and you, will, you, will, you may be surprised at this, but I was shocked that there are people who believe that church membership and baptism should not be connected. Now it is true that we are not saved by baptism. Bap baptizing doesn't save us. But my argument is this. If, if baptism is the entryway into the universal church, then should it not be an entryway into the local church as well. Should it not be? Part of what happens here is that people do not want or don't like to come under the lordship and the authority that is in the church. If we go back to this, and I just want to touch on some things here real quick. I believe that in our passage it clearly says that God added to the church daily those that were saved. And it was through repentance and baptism. So there are several things that had to happen here. The first thing, brothers and sisters, before we are baptized is that we have to repent. There has to be an acknowledgement of sin. I have to come to the place where I say, you know what? I am a sinner. And I am in need of a Savior. Peter says, repent and be baptized. And that repentance includes confession. Confession includes faith. I confess that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that died and who rose again. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Thou shalt, and, thou, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. This is what's called being born again. Before baptism, we have to be born again. There has to be a definite proof that you are born again. And that's where some part of the church comes in. The church says, yes, that's right. I see, I see fruit of the born again person. They have that authority. Remember, we have that authority to say yes or no to a person. We call this believer's baptism. A person must understand and believe in faith 
the gospel and repent from his sins before he can be baptized. The second thing that we see happening here is that baptism must happen. If, you're, if you are born again, brothers and sisters, you must be baptized. If you have repented of your sins, it is our passport into the body of Christ. It is sort of like the swearing-in ceremony into the kingdom and is expressed in the local church. Baptism is the process of taking one person and adding them to many. It is bringing an individual soul into the number. And it is how the church publicly identifies someone as a Christian. Baptism is a prerequisite to communion. You may not take part in communion if you're not baptized. They go hand in hand. We have a lot of records in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, of people being baptized upon their confession. And so the question, one of those questions is, well, why don't we baptize when our children become Christians? Why don't we baptize them right away? That's a good question. It's one that I've wrestled with personally. Why don't we? If we believe that baptism is part of coming into membership, and here's where I feel like I didn't have enough wherewithal to bring this all together. But I believe, as I studied, that it is evident that baptism is part of becoming a member in the local body. I'm not saying that it can't ever happen otherwise. But normally, that's the New Testament standard. Throughout Scripture, historical writings would say that as well, that it was normal for people when they were baptized to be ushered into the membership of a local church. And if we believe that the local church is exactly what we said, that it is for us to be developed and for us to do, develop with others, then it makes sense that we must be part of this. So when we don't baptize our young children, the sense that I have, and this is my sense, brothers and sisters, this is not scripture, okay, I want you to understand this. The sense that I have is this, that if we believe that baptism is a believer's baptism, then we must discern if that child actually understands what all that means. While that child may understand that he was a sinner and needed salvation, we need to be discerning. And I'm not sure, as I look back on some of our upbringing, I'm not sure that some of our children would have been ready to take on the responsibilities of being a member at a church. That doesn't, that doesn't make them not a Christian. But a believer's baptism, they must have understanding of all that's involved in being part of a church. And the bride of Christ. Communion. And I'm going to wrap this up real quick here. <clears throat> Just as baptism is the passport into the new covenant and relationship with the church that signifies that there was a renewal in my heart, that, that my life was changed, and I went public. I said, I am a Christian. I want to be baptized, and the church affirms that. Just as that happened, so is communion an ongoing affirmation that that is an ongoing reality in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Communion, brothers and sisters, supports church membership in this fact that when I was ushered in because I was born again, 
Communion is an ongoing, that's a one-time thing. Communion is an ongoing, perpetual thing that we practice that says, yes, you're, I am who I say I am. I am born again. Do you understand what I'm saying? It happens over and over and over. For us, it's twice a year. We sit down and say, yes, am I, am I in the faith? Do I have things in my life that would pre- prevent me from being part of this, this, this meal? And the analogy that I would put to us this morning is this, brothers and sisters. When, when, when you are a little child, or you children, and, and, and mom is preparing you a meal, and, and it's time to come sit down at the supper table, and you waltz in, and you start wanting to go for those whatever potatoes that are there, and you reach for that, and mom says, no, you can't do that, you stop that, in fact, you go wash your hands, or you won't eat. It's the same thing, brothers and sisters, over and over as we, do, as we come to communion, that we search ourselves, am I ready to take this meal? Does my word, does my life reflect my word? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Don't eat and drink unworthily. Just as baptism brings one into many, communion brings many into one. And that is serious, brothers and sisters, because if I'm the one, if I'm the one that is not living right and I'm communing, I'm not only hurting myself, but I'm hurting the family. Does that make sense? That's essentially what God is saying. This is serious. You are, you are speaking on my behalf. That's why we have in Revelations the head of the church walking among the candlesticks, looking, watching his bride that he loves tremendously. And he's saying, you know what? You guys got some good things, but you've got some bad things here. You have to repent or I'm going to snuff out your candle. It's serious, brothers and sisters. Church membership, baptism, and communion are the pillars that support church membership. I'm going to end with that. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Thank you, God, for truth. And I just pray that you would take what was said and apply it to our hearts according to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.